on the bandwagon. Um, I wasn't a Bulls fan. I wasn't a Lakers fan either. My mom was from Boston, and so I grew up as a Celtics fan. But um, Celtic, I mean, the, the Lakers in L.A. were actually a pretty good team. But there were all these bandwagon fans. And you know something that's funny is the minute the dynasty was over, you never saw anyone wearing their Bulls gear anymore. They were just bandwagon fans. They were just looky-loos. They just, you know, they were there for the big show. And they wanted to be affiliated. But uh, they weren't, you know, they weren't really... You know, Bulls fans. And I only say that to say that uh, Jesus recognizes and realizes that he has some bandwagon fans and people who are in the multitude who may not really consider him to be Lord. Um, respect is not a matter of mere words, we should see as we look at our text this morning, but it's reflected in action. In verse 46, again, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not what I tell you. What's important for us to recognize is the double use of the vocative. Lord, Lord, is normally used in situations of, of high emotion or emphasis. And the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, were notorious for uh, feigning reference to Jesus. They had no problem saying, Master, good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler. Or the Pharisees and scribes would say, good teacher, we would that you would show us a sign. With their lips, they showed respect for Jesus. Now there's a logical flow to what Jesus says here in our passage this morning. Because the previous verse last week, he declared, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, Last week we saw that people tend to say things that are in their heart, right? You know, um, you know, some people say, you know, if you have too much alcohol, it doesn't, you know, turn you into a jerk. It just kind of brings out the person you already are. But Jesus last week says, you know, um, in our sermon, we saw that he said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But now he qualifies that statement by essentially saying, but not everything that comes out of the mouth is a representation of where the heart really is. So he qualifies his statement here in this passage by saying that words must be followed by actions. Words must be followed by actions. And in our day and age, we have a similar statement or saying. Who can think of what a, a statement, the equivalent statement would be today? Well, yeah, that, do what I say, not what I do, or... Huh? Yeah, uh, you have to um, walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Or another one is um, talk is cheap or actions speak louder than words, right? So those are, that's a maxim that continues to this very day. Words have to be followed by actions. Why? Because emphatic confessions without actions mean little, if you have ever had friends or if you're married or have people you've been close with and they have uh, not acted in ways that fit with your relationship, you felt betrayed, right? Uh, a husband can tell his wife, uh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if he is unfaithful to her, well, she rightly would doubt the words that he's been proclaiming. And so... Um, words matter, but they're not all that matters. 
In Germany right now, um, I don't know if you've been, you've, uh, uh, been paying attention to um, how the Syrian refugee crisis has been playing out. But Europe has been accepting tens of thousands of uh, refugees, maybe hundreds of thousands. Um, I don't know the actual number, but the churches in Germany right now are actually having um, a a problem. They have an eight-month waiting list for baptism. And one of the reasons is because all of these Syrian refugees, many of them, want to convert. They want to become Christians. And in Germany, because Germany is a Christian uh, democracy, there are benefits for belonging to the church. And many of the the people have genuine um, confessions. They genuinely want to convert. They have seen the violence of Islam with ISIS in Syria and Iraq. They are disgusted with the brutality, the treatment of women, and all of these different things. And so many of them are genuine converts. But the German church uh, does not want to just baptize people in mass uh, because of the benefits that I mentioned for belonging to the church. And so the pastors have to discern if the, Christi- the Syrian refugees are merely engaging in lip service, which is what Jesus is getting at here. There's a parallel verse to our passage this morning in Matthew 7, 21. And Jesus says there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Isaiah 29, 13, there was a similar problem in ancient Israel. God spoke through the prophet and said, This people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their fear of me is a mere pretense. And look at what he says in verse 47. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man who's building a house and digs a deep foundation and lays a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke out against that house, it could not shake it because it had been built well, and you may have noticed the three participles there, comes, hears, and does. And these are three things that ground us in our faith. These three things give us a firm foundation in life. Coming to Jesus, hearing his words, and most importantly, doing them. See, disciples are people who are always coming to Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it means first and foremost that we are those who keep coming back to Jesus. We come to him for salvation. We come to him for wisdom, strength, to help lay down our burdens, to know the Father. And we come to Jesus in our weekly gatherings like we are right now here on the Lord's Day to worship, 
and to commune. And we're always coming to him primarily because he is drawing us to himself. John 6, no man comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So that's the first sign. How do we know if the father is drawing us to himself? We keep coming back to Jesus. God's message to Judah and Israel um, in all of the prophets was return to the Lord your God. And that's our message to people too. Return to your maker. That's what we're telling the world. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and broken world, what we're really saying is return, come back to your maker, the God who made you. Repent. That's what we're saying. The second thing is hearing. Uh, this week, I, um, I don't know how it happened in my studies, but uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was reading some of the ancient creeds, and there was a version of the Nicene Creed uh, saying, it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a sung version uh, by a choir in uh, a Greek Orthodox church, and I thought it was beautiful. I love that kind of stuff. I love ancient creeds and confessions and that kind of stuff. And I know the creed, but the first time I heard them singing, I couldn't recognize and make out all the words. And, but after about the third time, I started to recognize the lines and the stanzas of the creed because they were singing it. Um, and that's kind of how it is for us when we hear the word of God, the first time you may hear something, it doesn't really register. But the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. We keep coming back to Jesus to hear his words because the more and more we hear his words, we start to recognize what's being said. And those words make a deposit in our hearts in such a way that our faith begins to grow. Doesn't happen in an instant. But as we keep coming back to Jesus, as we keep hearing his words, faith begins to grow in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. Now, in Jewish and rabbinic writings, to hear was to obey. The most important creed for the Jews in ancient Israel was the Shema. And Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. And it was in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you weren't supposed to hear that if you were an ancient Israelite and simply say, Oh, that's nice to know. The Lord our God is one. Great. Actually, the whole purpose of saying the Shema that's what they called it. It was their creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. It was supposed to inform every part of your life as an Israelite. That knowledge that God was one was in distinction to all of the other nations with all of their myriad of pagan deities. It was supposed to change 
how you view your world, how you view yourself, and how you lived. The knowledge that the God of Israel was one and he was the true and only God was not just to stay up here, but it was to affect how you lived and what you did and how you behaved and most importantly, who you worshiped. When a child disobeys mom or dad, you know, they might say, um, you're not really hearing me, which means either you don't understand or you're deliberately disobeying me. So when Christ says here in this passage, uh, the one that comes to me and hears me, it is implied that we're not just listening to what he says, but that his words are going to affect us in such a way that we obey. So to hear God is to obey God. And he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them is like a man who builds on a good foundation. Mark 4.20 says, but those seeds that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So you know the parable of the sower, the different types of soil that the seed goes out on? Well, guess what? The type of soil where the seed takes root and grows and bears fruit are people who hear the word and do the word. They hear the word, they accept it, they bear fruit. And James 1.22 also supports this idea and he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Hearing means not just understanding, but obeying. Now, if you've been with us through our um, series in Luke, you can kind of see the logical progression of Jesus' words, which is Jesus is talking to multitudes, he has disciples, and now what Jesus is doing is starting to separate the phonies, you know, if you will. The people who are just there for the, you know, cookies and milk, <laughs> and, and the people who are really there uh, because they, they've understood who Jesus is. And so Jesus is drawing this sharp line. He's actually starting to separate the crowd a little bit with his words. Now, 2 Timothy 2.9 says, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And there's this repeated theme of naming the Lord, calling Christ Lord, and what it means to say that Jesus is Lord. You know, we live in a free speech society, and we don't really pay any penalty for saying things we don't mean. In some countries of the world, you don't say Jesus is Lord unless you really mean it because it could cost you your life. But here, and I'm grateful for free speech, we don't pay that price. And so it's easy to say, well, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and not really mean it. So here's the question for us. Can we call Jesus Lord and it not change the way we live? Can we name the name of Christ and not be seeking to conform our lives to his words? See, what's really at the heart of Jesus' admonition here is a rejection of nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity. Christianity in name only. In word only. And more specifically, it boils down to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is really getting at is this. If I'm really Lord, 
you'll do what I say. If I really am your, not just your Savior, but your Lord and Master also, right? Because someone can save you and then not be Lord. Right? Thanks for that. That was a kind act. I'm grateful. Now let me get back to my life. So grateful for that. But Jesus isn't just Savior. He's Savior and He's Lord, which means that we obey Him. We serve Him. He is our Master. And when someone is Master, you obey them. You do what they say. And you recognize that there is a power over your life because that you are being shaped in such a way as to conform to the words that come out of that person's mouth. And the whole point is not being good will help you weather the storms of life, right? Jesus is not just saying, if I'm Lord, you'll do what I say because doing all of those good things will help you weather the storm. Doing what Jesus says means that he's Lord and it's his lordship. The fact that Jesus is Lord of your life that causes you to have a foundation strong enough to endure the winds and the floods and the storms that life throws at you. And so that's the connection. If you are going to endure the storms and troubles and trials of life, right? It's an apropos metaphor right now because there's a huge hurricane in the Gulf, you know? And, and uh, was it the Atlantic side of Florida? I'm not sure where it's at, the Caribbean. Thank you. I've been busy this week. I haven't gotten all the details. But there's a huge storm down there. And storms in our life, they hit us at seasons when we're not expecting. And what Jesus is saying is, when those storms and trials of life come, you will be swept away unless your life is rooted and grounded and built on the foundation of Jesus' lordship. If Jesus is Lord, you will weather the storm. If he's not, you'll be swept away. If Jesus is the head of your life, your life ought to reflect his words in such a way that demonstrate that he is preeminent in all things in your life, in your world, in your relationships, and your actions reflect that. Some of you may know the song by Horatio Spafford, It Is Well With My Soul. You may not be familiar with the story of how that song was written. But Spafford wrote that song after traumatic events in his life. First came the death of his son at age two, and then the great Chicago fire of 1871. I was just in Chicago, and part of the ar architecture river cruise is them explaining how the city was rebuilt after the great Chicago fire. In fact, Chicago is referred to often by people who are from Chicago as second city, because the first city was all burnt up in 1871, and it ruined Spafford financially. He had been a successful lawyer, and invested significantly in property in the area of Chicago that was extensively damaged by the Great Fire. His business interests were further hit by uh, the economic downturn in 1873, just a couple years later, at which time he had planned to travel to Europe with his family um, on a ship. And in a late change of plans, he sent his family ahead 
while he delayed on business uh, concerning zoning problems uh, following the Great Chicago Fire. And while he was crossing the Atlantic, the ship sank, excuse me, while his family uh, was crossing the Atlantic, because he had stayed behind, um, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with another sea vessel. And all four of Spafford's daughters died. And the only survivor was his wife, Anna. And she sent him a now famous telegram, Saved Alone. And shortly afterward, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, um, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed where his daughters had died in the ocean. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. The one who hears my words, Jesus says, and does not do them is like a man who built his house without a foundation. When you obey Christ's words, when Jesus is Lord, when your life is rooted and grounded and cemented on the firm foundation of the gospel of Christ and his love, you can weather the storms. He says in verse 49 that for the one who built his house on a foolish, the foolish builder, and built without a foundation, that when the streams broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And so there's this stark contrast of two different types of people that say to Jesus, Lord. Right? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who proclaims the name of Christ really means it. Against nominalism, we obey Christ. We don't just profess Him with our mouths, but we recognize that our lives ought to reflect our love for Him, His love for us. And here's the thing, maybe this is something I haven't mentioned up until this point, but when Christ occupies the place in your heart, that he ought to, it's not grievous to do what he says. It's not hard. You want to conform your actions to his words because you love him and because you recognize how much he loves you. And I want to make an important distinction here that Christianity is not ultimately what we do for God. It's what God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has loved us and predestined us and called us before the foundation of the world. He seeks us out, calls him to himself. He has taken our sins upon himself to the cross, like we said in our assurance of pardon earlier. He accomplished the work of atonement once and for all. 
So the Christian life and Christian walk and Christian faith is not primarily what, about what we do, but about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But um, grace, which is not something we can earn, does expect something in return. It does expect our allegiance and our loyalty and our obedience. We would be only preaching a a partial gospel if we said that we were saved by grace and that's it. There's nothing else we have to do. And that's true to secure our salvation. But in gratitude, we live our lives in obedience to Christ's words as a way to reflect the great power with which he saved us. Our gratitude for his love for us. And so at this point, you should be thinking, am I the one who hears but doesn't act? Am I a true follower of Christ or am I only deceiving myself? John Stott says, in applying this teaching to ourselves, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read and that the church is a dangerous society to join. Our membership, therefore, lays upon us the serious responsibility of ensuring that what we know and what we say is translated into what we do. The reality of our relationship with Christ is demonstrated by our obedience. If that's overwhelming then you ought to place your confidence not in your own ability to be obedient, but in the Spirit's power in you. Romans 8.26 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And that's important because some of you are thinking, I can't do this on my own. I have failed way too many times, and if you're telling me that what it means to really be a Christian is that I do all of Jesus' words... I don't think I can measure up. And I just want to say, you're not alone and you're not on your own. God has given us His Spirit who helps us in our weakness. He has equipped us and empowered us to obey. We can't do it on our own. You can't do it on your own. You are not strong enough to do it on your own. But with the Spirit's empowering and enabling, we can Acts 1 and 8 says, after the Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses to me, both in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. So God gives us his empowering. And in a few minutes, we're going to come to the table to share in the supper, and we also receive strength there as we come together as a body and share this common cup and this common meal God strengthens us in that act also. The Spirit fixes our hearts on Jesus. And when that happens, He comes to rule more and more in your heart. So that you want to carry out His commands more and more. Because He's not just Savior, but He's truly become your Lord. At some point in your life, if it hasn't already happened, the floods are coming. In fact, 
you might be able to look back over your life and say, yeah, the floods have already come, and uh, they might come again. In fact, you may be in some flood season right now. You may be in a storm right now. But a life built on a good foundation of coming to Jesus, hearing Jesus' words, and doing His words will anchor you and keep you from drifting and being swept away. Let's pray. God, now we pray that uh, this message of um, true discipleship and authentic confession would resonate in our hearts, convict us and convince us, and that we would recognize and realize that calling you Lord um, is only as good as our life reflecting those words, that those words are empty unless we live in such a way as to demonstrate it's their authenticity. Father, help us now, we pray, by the Spirit's empowering to be able to fulfill this command. In our own sinful, weakful state, we are incapable, but we know, O oh God, that through the empowering of the Holy Spirit that you've given us, that, Lord, you will equip us with every good thing to do that which is pleasing in your sight. We pray now that you would send us out of here transformed and different than the way we came in. In Christ's name we pray, amen.